it, it has the same unique combination of being incredibly repulsive and technically impressive at the same time. And these watches are just that. It's basically, in a way, a tax on rich people. And this watch manages to go there with this huge crown that you don't need, that's going to dig into your wrist every single freaking time. It's going to be inconvenient so much of the time, but it looks cool and, and it's expensive. Greetings and welcome to this week's A Blog to Watch Weekly. David, Ariel, Ariel slightly, Ariel's in slightly annoyed mood this morning, I feel. I feel he's tense because his flights have been delayed. He's got that traveller angst. You know, he was at the nice Tudor event being wined and dined and then he met airlines. Ariel, how stressed are you? Or I'm you just your thrown home? because you kept saying good morning. I'm like, I've been up for 18 hours. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's, it's good morning. We're at, well, actually, it's not a good morning. It's just morning. There's nothing very good about it because it's absolutely what we would call drich over here. It's raining. Uh, so apologies in advance of all you can hear in the background of this recording is the rain hitting off the roof of the recording studio that I am in. David, how are you? Uh, a bit under the weather, but otherwise... Well enough, thank you. Well, you can come over here and be a bit under the weather in some <laughs> under the weather. Right, Ariel, let's get the first thing out of the road. You have been with Tudor. The article is on the website. Was it worthwhile? And this honestly isn't a loaded question, I, I promise. Yeah. Was it worthwhile traveling all the way to Florida just to see a watch that was a slightly different color? Um I've never judged the quality of the trips based upon the watches. Sometimes the best trips have the worst, because there are no watches. I think what's important is that no one was per se even expecting a brand new Tudor watch. I know there was a bit of a teaser campaign. I think that I think that brands are now hearing that they need to do teaser campaigns, but very few of them understand how to do it. So David will remember back when we would say things like, you know what you should do? Like tease something. And now they're doing it in like kind of like the first grader way. Like they don't really understand like this is something to tease. This is something not to tease because if you just tease nonsense, no one will pay attention when you have something really special. And a lot of brands are super guilty of this, you know, like on social media, I, you guys look more than me, but they'll have some type of countdown. Something amazing is coming in a couple of days. Oh my Your God. head will explode in 27 hours. Uh, yes. You know, and the, okay. They're doing the is it a blue dial? Tell me. I need to know now. Yeah, and then you see, you're like, what? So I feel that if Tudor had just been like, hey, something, uh, we're doing a new line extension, uh, people have been fine. So I think that there's a lot of lessons that brands can learn now about not creating too much hype. Look, the watch is, it doesn't even have a name. They were all looking at each other. Tudor was like, what do we call it? It's the FXD Black? Okay, we'll call it the FXD Black. Like, the, it's, it has its own reference number, of course, but it's it's the FXD Black amongst what is another Black FXD, <laughs> but that isn't really it's actually for sale. <laughs> it's actually the FXD Navy on the website. So maybe they, they should have just gone to tutorwatch.com, spent five minutes trying to find the watch, and then there it is. Whoa, 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 whoa. So the black one's called the Navy? <laughs> yes. Even though there's a blue-colored one that's for, like, a different Navy? The, if I just go and the URL says Pelagos FXD Navy, and it shows exclusively the black dial version. Okay, well, they should say, like, U.S. Navy, which they want. It, it is an homage to part of the U.S. Navy. But when they just say Navy, yeah. I feel like that's 
That's like saying country without specifying which one. It's like this is a no yeah, to oh, country. Just a navy. Which one? You know, <laughs> places that Manistan. form governments and rule themselves. Any particular locale? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, Tudor. I, look, Tudor did an amazing thing of taking as many people as they could find that have diving certifications or write about watches underwater to test a new watch. That, for me, in and of itself, is a beautiful, amazing thing because it, in one fell swoop, introduces a new product, gets people excited about the brand, but more importantly, um, creates a real connection between diving and the brand. And I think that's important because there's so many brands that that sell diving watches and they force you to use your imagination as to what this watch might be like, even wet. And here we are a brand. And this is, this is genius. What they did. The watch was already available for sale. Like basically the, the day after, and they brought over from Geneva, um, you know, enough, enough FXDs for everyone to wear. And, you wow. can have an FXD yeah, and you exactly. can have an FXD and an FXD and so for this you. is funny because we are all <laughs> sitting here probably thinking about all the other brands that never make enough samples. They're like, we've made two for the entire world. Um, and and I'm like, and, and like Tudor is just like, that's dumb. <laughs> we have to bring a bunch of them. So there's a lot of things that that Tudor did correct here. Um, they introduced a diving watch with diving. They brought enough. <laughs> they brought enough pieces. It's for sale now. The watch cost forty one hundred dollars, forty one fifty. And I want to ask you guys, just given some of the prices of things today, that feels pretty competitive, doesn't it? I, I does it? Does well, it? Though? Okay. What? Or, let, or 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 is it just that we're now so used to everything just being? far more expensive than it used to be they were just like yeah whatever four grand for a watch that's well fine. okay that there's that but let's talk about the other types of you know high-end swiss divers that you can get on the market at this price point it has its own in-house movement it has it's a pretty decent movement uh tudor still makes for the money some of the best titanium cases um on the market i think mm. uh for, as of a couple of years ago porsche design had some great titanium as well but um we haven't seen too much focus from them lately in this area at all. Um, so I think that I, I think that this is this is pretty decent. It's you know half the price of the relevant Rolex, less than the half the price. Um, you More know, like Omega Omega has uh, you know their th- Seamaster three hundred M, which I would say is probably the biggest serious competitor to it. It's little teeny bit more, um, but you know I, I think I think that's where it is. Uh, I don't know that the the tag Heuer Aqua Racer is getting uh, necessarily as much attention as this. I think that one costs in in the vicinity here. I I just think that this is actually a pretty decent value proposition. Yeah, I mean, in a way, it is. If you look at it from you know from top down, and and if you approach it from Omega and and, and Rolex, but I'm just looking at an Oris Divers Teton date that costs two grand on a titanium bracelet Wait, with which a titanium one? case. And sure, it does not. It, it's an Oris Divers Teton date. It's not titanium, but it's like Teton. And it's um, two grand. I mean, you know, that, so that means that Tudor ha- offers you basically a titanium case, no bracelet, and a nice movement, of course, for twice as much, basically. Whoa, 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 whoa. But you, the standard Oris with their caliber for 100 movement is about the same price. I'm looking at it right now. It's on their website, and it's two thousand and fifty dollars for it with a titanium case and uh, 
and brace that with an automatic movement. I'm not sure. It's, it's not going to be an in-house movement. It's going to be whatever it is. Okay, so uh, it's not it's not the caliber 400. Look, look, I'm not saying no, no, no. that it's the cheapest thing on the market, but Tudor definitely has a higher positioning of course. than some of the other brands. And you ask most consumers, you know, would you rather have the Oris or the Tudor? I, again, Oris makes a fantastic product, but I, I still think that Tudor sort of wins in bragging rights a little bit still. Yeah. The the price is yeah the price is decent to be fair when you you've made a good argument there I'm prepared to change my mind Ariel well done <laughs> but uh, <laughs> on the other hand Tudor why are you telling us that it's three so it's three thousand four hundred ninety pounds uh, but you get a complimentary strap now don't stop kidding us on that you're giving us a complimentary strap that's just marketing I actually nonsense. think they're giving you no straps. Just, <laughs> just sell us it for this way. <laughs> get it with and then they, oh, you might want a strap for your watch on the way out the door so please don't try and you know say stuff like that it's nonsense it's not a complimentary strap once the watch has been being sold for five six ten years and is you know something that's not bought that often then you can say actually this time it's the same price but now you get Wait, a who's calling it, it complimentary, complimentary. Who's Tudor, Tudor. So website right now, Tudor, oh, everywhere on the website. I will, I will share it on the screen. Complimentary strap. If you've just launched the watch, it can't be complimentary. I mean, if you're buying it, okay. If the watch has been launched for a wee while and they're trying to entice you to look at this range again, then it can be a complimentary. I think strap. it'd be funny if the strap was like a rubber one that doesn't even come with it. <laughs> Yeah, I think it would be funnier yeah. still if they give you a strap that didn't fit the fixed lug bars. Yeah, like a rubber one, like a, like the rubber strap from the normal normal yeah, just couldn't put on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, How was was there any de- any degree of annoyance growing on the fixed? Look, it's lug a, it, it looks great when you see the case with the fixed lugs. It is a beautiful thing, and I can see why they wanted it because mm-hmm. it just looks a little bit different. It's nice. Um, there are some people that want that one strap, one one piece strap, and and again, they they tend to be a little bit more uh, comfortable because you can wear them, you know, like NATOs. But again, it's it's not strictly necessary. Let's back up a second. Tudor like Rolex needs to have pillars, and if Pelagos is one of the pillar, how do they keep changing it up? Look at the Submariner. Oh well, the bezel is a different color. Let's put the crown on this side now. What about this color? For me, this is how they keep making Pelagai. Without making the same exact Pelagos. <laughs> I was just I did, a I word. Did. The, the, the collective noun of Pelagos is Pelagai. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so that's what this is. Well, but it does make it difficult when you want to buy like one Pelagos because they've gone a little bit crazy with st- with variety now with the different sizes and things like that. Yes. So <laughs> it's for me, the this, this is still the best size, uh, this 42 size, even though there's a 39. Um, I like the black dial here. I like the LHD one. Um, I look. I, I the yes. Pelagos is really growing on me, and I think that Tudor is, is firming its argument that we made. You know, basically what the Submariner is supposed to be for the the twenty first century. My only annoyance is that it, for some reason they decide to make it. You know, two hundred meters water resistant versus three hundred. 
or something like that. I'm sure it's some type of weird thing where they don't want to step on Rolex's toes, but like, there's no reason this needs to be water resistant to 200 meters only. David, Ariel has just given you a little uh, in there in terms of your rant for Tudor and the range of watches that we were discussing before Ariel came on the call. Yes. Take it away, David. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, I like Tudor very much. And I remember testing the first um, Black Bay with the smiley face in the dial and with the ETA movements. And I was blown away by the quality and the volume proposition but just as you said Aria they've gone a, a little bit crazy with the variety and that's all the more true for the for the black base so if you go to tudor.com or tudorwatch.com I should say and you select the menu then it comes up that you only see black base basically right when you open it and I was looking for a Palagos and I was thinking to myself like where the hell do I find the Palagos there's no such thing not a word that would say Palagos you can find sport watches and all Tudor watches and whatever and I was like well you know and then since I was looking at all these black base there are nine different varieties of black bay with you know basically this is just nonsense and I'm saying all this because I would love for the Pelagos to not go down this route where you have Black Bay, Black Bay 54, Black Bay 31, 36, 39, 41, Black Bay 58, so this naming scheme doesn't make any sense whatsoever because the Black Bay 41 is 41 millimeters, but the 54 is not 54 millimeters, and it has nothing to do with the watch that they made in 1959. Then there's a Black Bay GMT, a Black Bay Pro, a Black Bay Chrono, a Black Bay Bronze, a Black Bay P01, and my favorite, the Black Bay. So if you want to tell your friends what sort of Black Bay you have, the chances of them getting the idea of what exact Black Bay you have is basically zero if you just say, oh, I have a Black Bay, because maybe all you have is the Black Bay. But you can't say Black Bay because then there's so many others, then there really shouldn't be just a Black Bay, but there is. So the confusion is like this, basically. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Yeah, and within that, the Black Bay 31, 36, 39, 41, according to the website, there's 57 variations of that. So, yeah, one gets the impression that while Rolex doesn't really have that big a range extension in the sports watches, they're kind of losing their mind over at Tudor in terms of, well, we can have all these SKUs, look at them all. It's just a bit weird Here's and the thing, they make a Black Bay 41, that doesn't have a rotating bezel, but it is a Black Bay 41. And then they make a 41 millimeter Black Bay that they don't call the Black Bay 41 that does have a rotating bezel. Rotating <laughs> bezel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, yeah, it's, I mean, Tudor is one of the better websites in that you actually go onto the website and you see watches rather than interminable videos and little snippets that you have to scroll through before you actually see any watches. Mm. But the 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 variety there will be watches. I reckon the women's watches section there is a hundred and sixty one variations of the glamour date. Mm. And if you open that section, so much glamour. I reckon there's uh, so much glamour. I reckon there's watches on that website that have never been clicked on. If I go, <laughs> if I scroll down and go to the twenty six mil steel case black patent leather strap for two thousand six hundred and seventy pounds and click on it right now, that that's the first time that micro bit of that website has ever been opened and somewhere in Tudor HQ who monitors their statistics has fallen off their chair this morning as someone has zoomed in on the M5100026 <laughs> for the first time in known history. There we go. Look, Lots as, of watches. As a couple of years ago, Tudor had some really bad watches. Like, I know it's kind of... Uh, 
you know, easy to joke about the variety they have, and they do end up having the bloat. Any brand that that sells via wholesale relationships ends up having the the, the bloat. Um, but do you remember the Tudor style? That was a terrible watch. Um, <laughs> uh, the the glamour is uh, comparatively better, though. This is not a watch that I think would do particularly well in the U.S. market. I, I for one, have never seen anybody wear one of these, let, let alone women who work at Tudor. Um. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. If, if you're listening to the show and you work for Tudor, and we know some of you do work for Tudor and do listen to the show, we want to know how many of your female or male colleagues have ever donned a 26 mil Tudor when they also have the option of just wearing any number of black bays I had as no David idea already this such, outlined. This such existed. I'm looking at it and if you covered up the, the logo, I would be like, huh, I'm not sure what that is. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's. I mean, look, uh, when, when Tudor relaunched in the United States and England, I think everyone's hope was that only some of the models would go to those markets, which is true. Now you have a little bit of the creep. Uh, but remember, for a long time, Tudor was a big volume brand in parts of the world uh, where they sold watches that you wouldn't see in the U.S. or in Europe. Um, and we kind of liked it for that, right? So I, it's almost as though there's like a side of Tudor that they just don't want you to see. Like, no, no, that's not for you guys. That's not for you. So for yes. me, I just don't yeah. pay attention yeah. to it. Ah. Remember, at the Tudor events, it, these watches you're talking about, no one has said the word Tudor glamour at any Tudor event, maybe ever. <laughs> Ever <laughs> or royal? I mean, not even, not, it's like it doesn't even not exist. Even as an objective. <laughs> you see, royal at Tudor event, somebody goes out and gets you a burger. If it's not thing. Black Bay or Pro or Pelagos or whatever the small other number of words are, remember the North flag? Um, like the Ranger, they still make that. I don't know. I haven't heard that one in a while. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, you you mentioning the Black Bay and the whole Pro thing brings on another well, rant. Uh, I another no no a, a review from this week which David was involved with because if there's one brand you can rely on for their ability to put ultra pro all this on the end of it's anything Apple. it is our friends at Apple so David you were at the launch no you weren't at the launch Ripley, I think was, Ripley launch. was at the launch yes. you've, you've had a hands on we've had a hands on with this this is the new Apple Watch Ultra 2 mm. and the Apple Watch 9. Thoughts, feelings, emotions, gentlemen? Um, more nits. Or like thereof. We got more nits. Yes. And, got more nits. and less also. It goes down to like one nit or something like that. Or oh, two. wow. Yeah. Can, can I just touch on this for a moment? If I, if I say the word nit yeah. to you, does that have any negative connotations in your no. culture? No. So nits is in Scotland. I think it... I think it's the UK. It's definitely Scotland. In Scotland, nits is what you call head lice. So if you're like a kid and you catch head lice, then you go to the nit nurse who sorts you out. So nit is not a good word. It's one of these words that doesn't translate Do you think the next Apple Watch can Scots. detect head lice? Is that what we're getting at? <laughs> That's right. That'd be you, great. You, rub, you rub, this, rub the screen on your head and it does a nit count for you. It can count from one to two thousand or three thousand nits. But yeah, bit of, there's bit not of an much new here. There I mean, look, Apple has gotten itself in an annual release cycle, and there's nothing they can do about it. So they have like a bunch of stuff. <laughs> it's it's actually like Rolex at this point. They're like, oh my god, we have to release something. 
Um, what do we want to throw out there? Uh, these things have been waiting, and they just find a satisfying mix of stuff to throw out. Um, mm. I mean, look, the Ultra is now in its second generation after only a year. This is proving to be one of the best performing Apple watches for our category. When I say our category, I'm talking about the enthusiast category. I have been surprised, really surprised at the number of ultras I see out there on people. I don't know about other countries. It is the diving, mm. the diving watch um, version of the Apple watch. I actually just took it diving for the first time and it was actually very impressive how it performed. Um, Apple has now gone past just the, you know, the the consumer electronic item that you can wear and made a real lifestyle item uh, in the way that maybe like a, a, a Jeep Wrangler or something is where you may not use all these purposes, but now it has a design which is suggestive of an active lifestyle. So the new dials for it makes sense. Um, obviously, Apple is going to continue to put stuff in there. I don't know if they knew that this would do so well, and I'm sure that it takes them more than a year to do something about it. But what we have here um, is really the, the, the that's the hero piece for us. So I think for us, increasingly, we'll be more interested in talking about the Ultra, maybe some of the other niche models that may come after it. Um, but it's sort of like now the mainstream has the boring product, and we'll talk about that. But as you can see, as enthusiasts, we're like, quickly quickly gravitating towards the thing that have the most personality i think the pinch function is quite interesting this kind of the double tap you can tap your fingers together in a kind of i don't know what was that what was that film judy garland film the wizard of oz you but you tap your fingers together and it will control the watch because I can't possibly be the only one who, when one-handed, because you're holding a screwdriver in one hand trying to do it, or a saw, but you need something off of your watch or you're answering a phone call, that you end up doing it with your nose. <laughs> Any, anyone wish to confess? Anyone wish to confess? I'm going to put that as the question for the week. Any confessions about people using their nose to control their Apple Watch because you can't control it one-handed? So I think that's quite an interesting function. But other than that, I think it's a pretty I mean, humdrum. It's just, as you it's, say, they've got themselves into a really cycle that they need look, to fulfill. no one is arguing that you have to upgrade every single year with the Apple Watch. But I mean, I think at this point, doesn't matter where you live, you see that most watches out there are Apple Watches. That is the that is the market we're in. That's what I predicted would happen. That's what did happen. Um, and now it's good to see that Apple is taking itself seriously. It's Apple almost 10 years into this is only caring about the enthusiasts more, not less. They could have easily gone the Samsung route, the Google route, where they just make like a boring smartwatch that has really no extra mm -hmm. personality behind it. The Samsung has a little bit more. The, the Google one right now is, you know, about as lifeless as you can get. Apple has continued to make analog dials inspired by class watches. They make watches with more personality. The straps are getting even better. I'm really, really impressed that they have not deviated from really caring about enthusiasts. Now, how you define enthusiast or who that is, maybe that changes, but they have they have not created generic product. And and I think that's an amazing thing to recognize. And they made a they made a very distinct point of getting across that they are the biggest watch manufacturer in the world. <laughs> they were definitely claiming that title. This is a watch and we make more watches than anybody else. 
So uh, yeah, they definitely leaned into that a bit in their presentation. Um, yeah. yeah, there there's some really nice aspects and angles to this. I, I you know one of my favorite pictures of this new ultra is from. Um, basically a profile view, but you're looking down at the watch from the direction of one of the lugs and you see the profile of the case and then the, the crown guard in a way and then the uh, this you know highly curved case profile and then the way that the bezel is just basically just standing right up and it, it shows you know purpose and it shows that they've thought about this a, a lot and it's not a generic watch. It's something that I as a watch enthusiast would love to see because I'm curious to see how it's made and how nicely it is finished and how they came up with this shape and what it looks like on the wrist. And on this note also there's this picture of the watch um, on one of these Hermes uh, straps and deployment buckles and it's just it looks ace yeah. really. It's like this folded orange rubber or elastomer strap and the picture that they provided and the way the strap looks there, it, it genuinely looks like a Richard Mille strap. And, and yes. just as nice a buckle or a, or, a, or a deployment buckle, basically. So it's like, I was looking at that and I was like, I, I would actually see myself wearing that for the watch that it is and not just for the smart functions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've been trying to find out whether that Hermes strap fits the Ultra or whether it's only designed for the new the new uh, Series 9. I don't yet have an answer. If I'm pretty sure it will. All the straps are meant to go, all the other things. Are they all? Yes. Cool. Good stuff. Right, well, let's move away from mass production to somewhat more limited. And Ariel, you have had an involvement in this as one of the great and the good of the watch world involved in getting the LVMH or the LV watch prize to where they, it is they just mix now. They it up too, don't worry. Semi <laughs> a little bit, yeah. well. That's good. I'm good to know. They're like, well, who are we? Who are we today? I'm LV. No, no, just LV. Uh, so they have unveiled, you can go to the, the a Blog to Watch website to see an article on this, the semi-finalists of which there are 20. Now, Ariel, I have to say, I'll be honest, because we're nothing about um this is not what I expected. And I'm What did you expect? Uh, this feels this feels more exclusive than I thought it would be. Uh, my impression of the LVMH watch prize was it was about giving the little guy a lift up. And I'm looking at some of these names and thinking, they're not that little. And do they really need the lift up in terms of PR or the bit of cash injection that the prize was slated as being designed for? So give us give us an inside track on how some of these brands have got. I mean, Itai Noi. I don't think of a Itai Noi or Barons as being a a brand that's waiting to be discovered. Thank you for the insight, and I think it's a good discussion to have. Um, if it wasn't for some of the, you know, the conversations I had, I may have also been confused. Remember the audience that we're going for. The audience that they are going for is someone who looks to Louis Vuitton as being a pinnacle of luxury and sees them as a curator. So while we have, may have heard of some of these guys before, you can be damn sure the, the mainstream hasn't heard of any of them. Louis Vuitton is not trying to say, hey, watch enthusiasts, I'm going to show you a bunch of stuff that you um, you haven't seen before. They know that we've seen a lot of stuff, especially people like us. The goal is to curate this through our validation 
to show the general public as to how cool the world of watchmaking is. And I think that you will agree that all of these, you know, um, watchmakers and their products are pretty darn cool and impressive. And so that's really what trying to, that's what Louis Vuitton, you know, ultimately, um, I think was going for, uh, you know, this was up to a vote. Um, so, you know, we, we voted on all these, obviously there was, these were, there were a lot of candidates. So, you know, these are people that, that, um, applied formally, um, you know, it was, I was someone that, that liked a lot of these, not all of these things were ones that I necessarily felt were the top, because like you said, I was like, do they really need the help? You know, here's another fancy tourbillon. Um, and there is, and this is very heavily tourbillon based. They're not all tourbillon watches here and I haven't counted, but I'm guessing like five or six of them are probably tourbillons. So I think what you see that a lot of people, um, want to help the little guy who probably, um, is going to do well anyways, right? This wasn't like a, uh, shark tank style thing where it's like, you never have a chance without us. Um, this, this was, um, you know, celebrating people who are obviously already in a very good position, whether they're a little bit established or have something. The watches look very distinctive for the most part. So I think that if you just sort of say, okay, show a mainstream person this, um, we know that probably all the individuals behind these watches are interesting people, right? Like these are all cool, enterprising um, designers uh, from multicultural backgrounds probably got into watchmaking through slightly different ways, whether it's artistic or mechanical engineering or something like that. Not all of these are even watches. And I think that's something that um, we were struggling with a little bit. Uh, there's two clocks in here, uh, as well as um, uh, a bee. <laughs> uh, and, you know, <laughs> these are things that all involve clockwork related to it. So I think that their open-mindedness to move away from strictly the wristwatch is, is interesting. Um but, you know, if you look at these watches that they selected, like, this is a cool assortment of stuff. Maybe, you know, a few too many round cases, but they're not all round cases. Um, I actually think that, like, you know, just if this was a poster of the semifinalists, like, I'd put that up. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I agree. Listen, I'm not saying that any of these watches are bad. I'm just saying that I thought that driving or encouraging or helping folk to get commercial success was one of the core principles. And yet you've got some brands in here who have already got waiting lists that stretch for years. So commercial success is not something that they're lacking. But the watches are stunning. You know, Sarpaneva, great. That's the thing, it's the, not commercial success. Remember, Louis Vuitton is trying to look cool by introducing to a mainstream neat original ideas from independent uh, minds. And all this stuff undeniably is. Yes, but part of the initial thing was about giving people. I mean, it's in it's in the writing on the on the application form, or on the on the website is about aiding brands to be a. We'll commercial call that a strange translation from French. Them, by by, <laughs> by giving them copywriting and all the rest of it. All of these watches are stunning. I'm not. It almost feels more like its own GPHG. It's here is the best of the little guys. Here is but the best these of stuff actually are little guys. Of. Yeah, but these are genuine little guys. These are generally run by 
the person that is also the watchmaker. You know, the fact that brands like Barrowhand have got involved. I mean, Carell's great guy, amazing engineer. It's it's brilliant he has got through this far. I don't think anyone's massively surprised at that, but it will be interesting to see now because this now gets whittled down into five. Is that the next stage? Yeah, I mean, um, we're going to keep narrowing it down. The decisions are getting harder and harder. I mean, all of this stuff is is really fantastic. My hope is that the next stages, the judges, including myself, um, we really try to look at this as a personality thing. Who are the people who we think uh, would do best with this help? Who would make the you know who would be able to you know work best with uh, the LVMH? Network and La Fabrique to Tomp, uh, because I think what we all want is something meaningful to, to happen as a result of this. Yeah, I mean, some stunning watches, some amazing personalities. I mean, I interviewed Simon uh, Brett, brilliant guy, just an amazing watchmaker. Uh, I know the guys at Barron's are a great cross studio. You have a, a good relationship with them. I know you, you went to see them last time you were in Geneva. So, yeah, really excited to just see how this narrows down because it's a tricky one to get from. Yeah, I I don't envy those that are trying to decide between, you know, what have you got there? Uh, The Peterman Bedat and the Simon Brett or the Sarpaneva, like... Just, I mean, th- yeah, there's a lot of exotic point. stuff here between the names of the watches yeah, yeah. and the people that made it. I mean, I, I'm, I'm very happy with this. I think this is a is a is a cool and strange list. A bit, a bit turbion heavy. I'll say that, but otherwise, I'm, I'm very happy with this. <laughs> yeah, David, some thoughts. Yeah, it's it's going to be a tough one. It's uh, obviously a novel concept from Louis Vuitton. I hope that it will grow into something big that we can look forward to every year or every other year. Um, and um, yeah, I just hope that it, it helps propel the industry. I'm getting a little bit of um, Harry Winston Opus vibes here, uh, where you cherry pick some <laughs> of the some of the best and and you. It's not that you make 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 them your own, but you have them grow and you give them a platform. So that that's a nice concept that's been missing so far. It's going to turn into LV and friends. <laughs> yeah, Arno and friends. <laughs> Arno and friends. There we go. Well, it leads us nicely into the other side of these kind of discussions, and that is that GPHG has now got down to its nominated category timepieces. I know that, Ariel, you you want to give it a lot of time or rumination to this particular list. Uh, this is when we again, need video. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm just, I, I've shared the screen on the little recording that we do uh, to show. I, it's actually not the worst selection of GPHG that I've seen. They seem to have got their act together slightly better. The iconic watches are actually, which is the category I've been going to first in recent years to kind of assess, you know, who've they got voting in this. But genuinely, the iconic watches are iconic. Apart from the fact that AP just keep putting up the any, you know, 
each year is a different Royal Oak, which just shows one of the fundamental issues of AP, which is we've only got one watch. This one happens to be a chronograph, self-winding, and it's an offshore. But the Breitling B01, the Chopard uh, LUC1860, the Ingenieur, the Tag Heuer, and the UN Freak 1, that says to me that actually, yeah, the fact they've chosen genuinely iconic watches is a good sign. Ariel... Have you given this any thought, David? Have you given it any thought as to what the best watch of the year so far of those watches that wanted to pay five grand to get into I, the show? I'm going to say again that these categories are <laughs> completely arbitrary. That there's watches yeah. that just could fit in any one. So I feel like they just, they're mm-hmm. like, okay, here's our sponsor brands. We have to fit their watches into some type of taxonomy that Somewhere. makes sense. Right? Like, I, yeah. I feel like the watches came first and then the categories came afterwards to sort of sort them all out. You have chronographs and the non-chronograph section yeah. then in the chronograph section. You have, I mean, it, it's just, it's iconic. They're all icons. How do you have a prize for being what the most iconic? Like if they're an icon, it's a status you have. It's not like an award of the most iconic. Like it's a matter of popularity and notoriety. It's not an award. It's not a merit-based uh-huh. thing. Like I just, I hate all this. I think it's stupid. <laughs> I like looking at the pretty watches. I'm glad that people want recognition. People always want recognition in this space. And that's fine. And we get to sit there and talk about it. But somehow, these have to be weighed against one another is idiotic. Mm -hmm. I think you should just have a category that is Tudor. Tudor. Yeah, that's a good category. (laughs) Sponsor. The best of Tudor. The most Tudorous. Here's our best sponsor. Please vote for our very best sponsor. (laughs) You, you, You know you have to pay money to submit, right? And if you win, you have oh, to yeah, pay money. It's five, it's five, I think it's $5,000 to enter. And then if you get through to the next category, I think there's more money that's required off of you it's such to a go scam. on the tour. I don't even know why we're talking about this. <laughs> because it gets you riled and that's entertaining. Okay. <laughs> uh, so I, I, I would love it if somehow there was some sort of guerrilla marketing here and either the studio underdog won the overall prize or the Christopher Ward bel canto. I just think that would be the most undermining The thing only positive thing that, that comes from GPG. all this is awareness. That people <laughs> learn about watches yeah. they may have not known about. Again, categories totally arbitrary placement of the watches in the categories arbitrary voting total popularity contest that's that's all it is well there you go you can go and check that out and see well let us know we'll maybe put that as a question this week what is what would you vote for in either gphg or the louis vuitton watch prize and you can tell us in the comments on the spotify app as to which one should win Hi, this is Ariel Adams, founder of A Blog to Watch, with a message about eBay. I visit eBay daily and have been relying on eBay to learn about and acquire watches for more than 20 years. Did you know that you can now buy watches directly from brands or their authorized dealers on eBay? Timepieces coveted by watch enthusiasts from brands like Zodiac, Loco, Parallel, and more are part of eBay's Certified by Brand program. Here's how it works. Luxury Names are partnering with eBay to bring brand new and pre-owned watches and other luxury accessories directly to you. Certified by Brand includes a minimum one-year factory warranty for watches and offers an unprecedented selection of new and used watches directly from the source, all with the peace of mind you can expect from eBay. 
Visit ebay.com slash certified by brand for more information. Ariel, why should you take an interest in luxury watches that you can't afford? So it'd be more cultured. <laughs> the end. That's your article yep. covered. Well done. It's the shortest thing you've said all day. In fact, in the last 89 episodes. <laughs> I mean, I, so more I wrote this article as a response to people who would complain I, I don't want that or I don't like that or I can't afford that. Why are you forcing me to look at it? And um, <laughs> it, it, you know, we talked it over with the uh, blog to watch editorial team a little bit. And I decided that it was good um, to to chat about this idea. And it's a sort of an exploration of the various reasons why you'd want to take your precious time to read about products that you probably are never going to buy. And I think there's a lot of good reasons. Um from wanting to understand what's actually new and novel and innovative within this category to just being genuinely aware of what's out there so that you can have conversations with other watch nerds like you. Cause you have to talk about something, right? If you, if, you know, with, with the sports people, if you didn't <laughs> see the game last night and I have too much to talk about, right? So it's the same thing with watches. If you're not aware of the latest new watch or the the funny thing that happened, then you can't have that conversation um, with your watch buddies, which is obviously a big part of this mm -hmm. hobby is a social element. Um, but then in general, just to be cultured. I mean, you go to uh, an art museum, uh, you want to feel like you can say something intelligent about the painting, um, maybe some of the context or who painted it. You want to genuinely be able to appreciate it because someday maybe you want to paint something or you'll buy a painting yourself but so you can understand how people appreciate these things and with these very um complicated or expensive watches they're actually a lot easier to talk about than some of the more simple ones because there's always a lot more stuff going on so if anything these exotic watches you can't afford are like great like watch nerd discussion practice material is the is there a watch that you find to be the most <laughs> like the easiest one to geek out on, but is so unreachable. Like if you're having a conversation with someone that just doesn't get why, what you do for a living, why you're into watches, but is willing to listen to you talking about them, is there a watch you would go to that says, here is a luxury watch, here's what represents why I'm involved in this. You know, here's this Ferdinand Bertoud or this De Bethune that represents the pinnacle of... Yeah, I love this, could never afford it, but just love it's talking about it. It's a great question, and I think you'd have to have a small selection of them because it really depends on the audience um, and, and, and what people appreciate. Some people really appreciate well-made things because they've may, had to make something themselves or they just know well-made things. Other people love uh, famous things, if a celebrity wore it or if it's a very famous brand. Uh, some people... Uh, focus on the design. And so you have to find out what that individual um, finds valuable. But from there, I think you'll be able to quickly tell a story, right? Like if they're really into celebrity, then there's all kinds of stuff. If they're really into like rarity and history and and, and antiquity. There's stories there. So um, I, I think that it's really about finding the right watch that you can begin uh, that will connect with what it is they value. And, you know, I mean, I, again, we all value similar things, but I think we understand that we've we've had conversations with people who are like, that's the watch you like? I had no idea, just because there's some story that connects to them. David, same question for you, but the other way around, is there any famous watch that someone who you know is not a watch geek 
but has been a famous enough watch that it's seeped into popular culture that someone has come to you knowing that you are a watch geek and asked you to explain it to them. Like, why is this worth half a million pounds? Why is this Richard Mille that we hear about getting stolen mm-hmm. off of some F1 driver's wrist worth half a million quid? So it's some watch that's seeped into the zeitgeist that does that? Yeah, I, it's interesting that you mention uh, Richard Mille because that, that, that's muted. exact... Uh, ah. Where the... Hmm. Still muted. <laughs> it's funny when, when the Zoom... So every time you, you share a screen or something, this whole thing just moves between desktops and sometimes it's full screen and sometimes it moves somewhere and sometimes it's just a little window and now it was completely gone, like completely. David learned um, Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Zoom. Did you miss the pandemic, um, yes. bro? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I was just watching one of these Salzburg episodes where uh, a post-pandemic, and one of the one of the little scenes is where the entire Zoom HQ is on fire and people just still throwing like Molotov cocktails at it. Um, <laughs> it's just kind of funny. I was like, well, I guess they deserve, in a way. Uh, yeah, back in 2017, I was just Googling this. We, we wrote an article titled Why Richard Mill Watches Are So Expensive. And it's still one of, one of you know, our, our most read articles and it still pops up from time to time here and there. And yeah, so people do come to me and ask, like, oh, why, why is this one? Like, where is this coming from? Is this made up? Like, did, most of the time, basically the first question I get is, is, uh, is, is to say like, okay, so is there any value? There's no value behind it, right? And to which I have to say, well, in a way there is, because you know, it's, it's one way to transfer money from one place to another, it's a one way to store money. Um, that is the value. It's not that these tiny little cogs and wheels and cases and whatever are actually worth $300,000. It's, it's in a way a made up amount of money because it could be 180,000 or 420,000. It doesn't make, it, it's not that you could put a price like, oh sure, this is definitely 300,000. It's all like over the place. Like stock prices. Uh, yes, yeah, exactly. We've seen that with, 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 uh, with Rolex prices over the last year, basically. It went way up high. I was just looking at one of these ridiculous things, the, the green dial, yellow gold Daytona's that went up to like 120, 140,000, and now they are 75, 80,000. And you know, this means that there were people out there waiting for the day to dawn when they could spend 130 grand on a watch that we had for 45. You know, it's a, it's a ridiculous thing. So yes, uh, to answer your question, yes, I do get asked this question quite a lot. And um, uh, this, is, this is my answer most of the time. If you just something you touched on there about the storing and moving of wealth, I think it's a New York Times article and podcast. I'll, I'll try and check it out for next week, which is talking about the art world mm-hmm. and very specifically delves into the murky world of the Geneva Freeport. Oh, uh, which if you've mm-hmm. ever if you've ever read about is is very much worth a listen. Nice, and that what you can apply to the art world. I'm fairly sure yes. you can apply to the world oh, yeah. of watches and the world of auctions within the watch world so i'll try and stick that in the show notes and you can go and check that out i think that's something to be really interesting to try and do a bit of digging into in terms of how watches are simple especially in the auction world clearly simply not moving and are sitting in vaults in the freeport system just waiting to be moved as cash MBNF Mad Editions Mad One Green Watch. Is this a is this a little bit cynical? <laughs> Maybe I'm just in that kind of mood today. 
Is it a little bit cynical of Mac to say, ah, oh, well, you couldn't get the one in blue or the one in red. Here's one in green. Send me all your money. Um. Well, yeah. I mean, if they sell, you got to change up <laughs> colors. That's you know, that's that's part of the that's part of the business model now. I, Ten years ago, it wasn't like. Uh, when things get boring, what do you do? Make a new color. Now that's like the thing to do. It's, you know, every color in the rainbow yeah. is is eligible to make money. Um, you know, green is a popular color. Uh, I know that they've had uh, a very special kind of relationship with their special lottery system, whatever. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I guess that is, that's how they want to move. This has been a special success unto itself for Max Booster. It's 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 a great concept. They have to be careful with it, right? That's the funny thing about this. It, mm. it, they can't make too much money on it because they can't make too many. So it's sort of like this thing where they'll never be able to make too much money off of it. And because of that, I think they're trying to torture the consumer. <laughs> I just wonder, it just feels to me like a bit quick, but then maybe it has actually been just one a year. It's, it just it's feel, been like more just than a year. Time I think it's been two years. Is it, was it, was it 2022? I thought the, like the year and well, a half. 21, 22, year and a half. So, yeah, I suppose you could argue it's the season's color. Look, he has but, to uh, stop just the red at some quick. point, right? He, he, if anybody knows he shouldn't yes. overproduce, it's Max Booster, right? So mm-hmm. at some point, he's like, I've made enough red. we got to move on to another color now. You get to make the same product, mm-hmm. slightly different because of the color, and you get to feel like in the future that there's only going to be so many of the red ones out there. So, you know, that's mm-hmm. that's what this is going to be. And then, you know, w- are we surprised? Brands come out with a good product yeah. and then they're like, let's extend the life of, out of it by making a bunch of different colors. And MBNF has been, think about most of their models. Oh, well, here's a new color. Yeah. Here's a new color version here. The, you know, the, the, the legacy machines, for example, perfect example of that. Just like every freaking dial color you can case material combination you can imagine. Yes, and there were so many, so many disappointed customers out there. Like you know, like they said, some twenty thousand people or however many signed up for the for the lottery, and they made a few thousand of these. So, you know, of course, it's uh, MBNF is you know just they see all this demand out there. They see all these people wanting wanting to have a connection with MBNF. This is the only thing they can afford, which is totally understandable. Uh, let's give them a chance to own one of these. I think that's 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 clever. So $3,200, being produced. If you want to get in the lottery, you can go and check out the article at blogtowatch.com and get to it from there. Freak X, Ops Watch. Whenever there's a freak, we've got to let David have a chat about it. Hmm. David, what do you think about this one? I quite like this one. I, I think it's it's cool. Uh, you know, when I reviewed this particular Freak X, I mean, not this reference, but the but the black one, I, 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 basically my main point of criticism was that it needs more colors. It was all, all the options on the website and the ones that you could buy at the time from Lisnardan with were kind of dull in a way that they were really toned down in, in terms of colors and color options and color palettes. And they were just not cool enough in the sense that the, yes, the, the concept is amazing. The freak is of course, um, needs an introduction to basically anyone who's, who's into watches, but those versions were kind of, you know, just a bit too under the radar. And, and um, yeah, this one is much cooler because this has this green, wow, who knows, like epoxy or composite case with black lines in it. 
doesn't look particularly expensive this case that's that's my only issue that it looks kind of plasticky in a way but whatever it is that lives under this domed or boxed uh, sapphire crystal makes up for it so the overall presentation is still very very cool it's like a tactical kind of kind of stuff and you know i think the freak x wears it really nicely yeah i i think a freak is definitely one of those watches that's on my list i feel like i need to own one at some point it just feels like, and we did an interview with him uh, a year ago, actually. Now, David, yes, and just how few of these watches actually exist. I think it was less than five thousand yeah. ever been produced in the freak range, and yet I don't think people think of them in those kind of scales. Really, just how few of them there are. Uh, and they're definitely leaning into it. There's been a definitive change yes. in the brand about leaning into the freak as being their lead product that they want to get out in front of people. Ariel, you had much experience of this um, watch? I mean, we all know the freak and the freak X. Uh, and in general, I'm a huge fan of the freak. I think that the best freaks have no crown. Uh, I understand what we're trying to do with the freak mm -hmm. X. And and yes, I think that it, it it's a great watch. Um, they claim that it's very affordable. I still think it's a pretty expensive timepiece, but there's a lot of cool stuff going on. This isn't the version for me. Um, David mentioned things that I, I second. It doesn't look like a particularly expensive case. And he said tactical. I don't think I think it looks tactical, but not cool. It looks like a topographical map of a swamp to me. Maybe it's just because I was in Florida. Uh, <laughs> but it looks like it looks like it was inspired by like weird hunting gear. Um, I don't see mm. luxury. In that, in that, for me, my association with that, um, it doesn't even go with the theme. So, again, my brain sees something that I'm sure you listened on did not uh, assume. But it, it, it actually, I think, is important to bring up the practice of taking a non-luxury material and using the power of, of uh, you know, Swiss imagination. All of a sudden, is now more expensive than metal. And I don't mind them using these materials. I really don't. But I think they need to be a little bit fair with the consumer and like not charge more for it necessarily, or just just be a little bit fair with the pricing. Um, you know, the Apple Watch, you you pay more for the steel and less for the aluminum. But I feel like if it was a luxury brand, they would do it the other way around. Excellent point. Okay, some quick hit miss maybe before we bring the show to a close. First up, we have from IWC, the IWC Big Pilots Watch AMG G63 to pair with your G-Wagon. What do we think of this? This is clearly a bit of a monster of a watch, but I do love a nice Big Pilot, Big Crown IWC. David, Ariel, are you likewise hit miss maybe on this one, I'm open-minded to it. I think it's a maybe for me. Um, it, it, it wouldn't be my absolute top version of IWC's pilot watch. And IWC makes a fantastic pilot watch, but they make a lot of them. And the sweet spot ones for me have always been actually a little bit lower in price because I think that that's where a lot of the value comes in. Um, you know, these are very expensive models. You have a solid gold one. Um, I, I think that to me, maybe the gold one has just one too many colors on the dial. I do like that they pull away um, that those sub dials. So it, it really looks different. It's not like, oh, that looks like every other, um, you know, big pilot's watch, but like, it's like one extra color that doesn't need to be there. It's like these two weird eyes staring at you. And okay, 
I, I get it. Um, and they're probably trying to be inspired now that I think about it of the um with the headlights on the, with um, the headlights. yeah. Um, which which is fine. Um, I don't even know that most people that are G Wagon fans will <laughs> remember the headlights if you ask them what they look like. Uh, <laughs> you know, so I it, it's an audience that is happy to conspicuously spend money and and correct there. One of the things that, that looks weird to me is um the back of the watch. There's there's like the Mercedes logo and stuff on there. I, I would like to see what this looks like in person. That's actually something that I'm very curious about is exactly what the back of this watch looks like uh, in person. So these are nice, but this is another one of those watches where we're like, yeah, I'd wear it for like, you know, I don't know, 70% of the price or something like that. Um, it's just, it's it's probably got some cool things on there. Um, and just every time I see edition G, G class, I just feel like Eng English just, it's weird to me to see that. Or maybe I just wanted to say G-Shock. <laughs> <laughs> David, this or a G-Shock? Ah, oh, jeez. Remember, mm. David, it's stronger <laughs> than time. This. Stronger than time. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh is it though? <laughs> okay. It's <laughs> 46.2 by 14.4 millimeters thick, so it is sized like a G-Shock. Um, it's a hit. So there's in... death taxes and IWC that's stronger than time. <laughs> yes. Um, it is a hit in the sense that they've managed to to pay homage to the G class in the sense that it is just as it, it has the same unique combination of being incredibly repulsive and technically impressive at the same time. And these watches are just that. And if you watch this, uh, Dr. Murrow has this hysterical video on the G class and particularly the Cabrio, the, the convertible model. Um, and it's. Literally, it's just the worst, most overpriced, least comfortable and convenient car to have. And uh, it's basically, in a way, a tax on rich people at the G-Class. And if you look to the right, <laughs> then you will see the reflection of the car that's driving on the lane to the next to you. And it's super dangerous and it's uncomfortable. And, and in a way, that, that's what makes it repulsive. You know, it's like it's not the it's and this watch manages to go there with this huge crown that you don't need. Um, that's going to dig into your wrist every single freaking time. It's going to be inconvenient so much of the time, but it looks cool and, and it's expensive. And, you know, it's it's exact. It, it vibes with the with the G-Class perfectly in a way. So if you're a G-Class customer, you've pulled the trigger on the G-Class, probably you will find that this watch resonates with you too. Excellent. And that's us saying goodbye to our G-Class owners. <laughs> <laughs> Cheerio now. Yes. Bye, Defender. Much better cars. Anyway, right, good. So let's look at a hit miss, maybe. It will, oh, by the way, that was a, a, a hit for me, the IWC. Uh, hit miss, maybe, on the Omega Speedmaster Planet Ocean Deep Black ETNZ or ITZ Edition Watch. I, I do, again, it's a bit like we're in a bit of the oversized territory today. I do like a good. Planet Ocean, and I do like a good chronograph on a planet ocean. So this is a hit for me. Quite like this, mm -hmm. gentlemen. Yourselves, um, David, Ariel. It, it would be a hit if it had something jutting out of the case at eight o'clock. But now that it only has two crown, <laughs> two pushers, a helium escape <laughs> valve, and a huge crown, it's it's just not there yet. Uh, I think time David has, wants more crowns. Yes, I think time has passed over these a little bit. I mean, these look cool ten years ago, but now it's uh, 
um, this this watch could have debuted ten years ago. Uh, what is twenty twenty three about this watch? Not much uh, to my eyes. Look, I am obviously very sympathetic to this aquamarine uh, tone, which is something that you know I happen to like a lot and wear a lot, and I've designed a watch around it. So, um, I, I think it's great. I mean, this basically reminds me of the Norcane that recently came out and like the similar <laughs> colors that I believe is less expensive. Um, I am happy that at some point down the road, Omega decided to put in their master chronometer uh, movement here. But I think David is correct in saying that this Seamaster Planet Ocean chronograph is an aging platform. This is a very large watch, which is fine, but like it doesn't really feel like it needs to be like if it's big, give us a reason for it uh, especially now with just I, I just don't know that there's um this isn't very trendy so i think that this is a, a platform that needs to be revisited obviously the brand likes to do little limited editions like that with fun colors when a model is being phased out so for me this is one of the sort of last hurrahs of this generation of the 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 planet Edition chronograph um they do the same thing with cars a lot they'll do some weird you know, sometimes people say even tacky version uh, before the end. So uh, maybe you guys agree that this is probably a sign that Omega is revisiting this world. Yeah, good stuff. So, so was that a miss or a maybe? Um, it's a maybe because I love the colors and I would probably wear it, but I I don't know that it's um, going to give us the novelty factor, the discussion, the technical discussion that we like to have when it comes to an Omega. It's literally like, you know, it's like oh, colors, nothing else to see here. <laughs> cool. Well, I love it, so it's a hit for me. Finally then today, Bomber Mercedes Titanium Riviera 39mm watch impresses, according to Tom Roth. But does it impress any of us? I'm increasingly liking this, so I'm going to say this is a hit. This is growing on me. I've always been a fan of the Riviera. I, I don't like the fact that you can see the date. Um, the date disc, the whole thing there. I, that's just a personal right. preference. I, yep. I just hate that. It's highly distracting. But the size, <laughs> the overall movement, um, this is a strong collection. I've never, I saw, I see old Riviera's once in a while being worn on people, but we know the Bomber Mossier might as well be in, 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 you know, just out of hibernation mode. Very small brand these days, not a huge amount of distribution. I don't think I've seen advertising in a long time. So I don't know the Riviera is going to get the attention it deserves. Uh, but, you know, with a little bit of, of love and attention and maybe some uh, additional designs to appeal to enthusiasts, um, obviously has a has a great thing going here. So hit miss maybe? Um, I, I, again, it's a maybe because this specific dial configuration isn't for me, but this platform mm -hmm. has a lot of merit to it. And again, this is for a lot of people definitely going to be a hit. Cool. David, hit miss maybe? Oh, it's it's a hit in the sense that it's it's a very creatively designed watch. I really like the way that they play with the different materials, with titanium, with gold. Um, I, I love this wave pattern dial that's in Sapphire that is just basically a disc. Um, nice applied number. It, it, it's, it's a creative watch. It doesn't look too derivative of this integrated, you know, bracelet or lock structure uh, trend. So, so I do like that very much. The screws in the bezel don't seem to fit terribly well um, looking at these pictures. So that's maybe something they, they might want to work on a little bit. But, you know, for four grand in titanium, uh, I quite like this very much. Don't forget the movement is yeah. five-day power reserve and more or less anti-magnetic. Very cool. Yeah, very, very the, cool. 
the bombastic movement. Good stuff. Well, go check that and everything else I've spoken about this week at ablogtowatch.com. David, where can people find you on the internet? It's at abtw underscore David. And somebody actually reached out asking if this lottery for the MBNF was real. How real is it was the question. And, I, you know, because people think like, oh, it's a, it's a waiting list game kind of thing. And I told them, no, it's, it's totally real. Go ahead and apply. So you can hit me up with questions there. Ariel, where can people find you? On well, the if people have questions for me, they should uh, message David on Instagram and ask him. And <laughs> if he can't answer, then I'll, I'll step in. Uh, in addition to uh, Blog Watch Weekly, there's also the Superlative Podcast, uh, as well as my articles on a Blog to Watch. Excellent. And you can find me at RickTikTok on Instagram and probably on Threads, if, if Threads is still a thing. Good stuff. Thank you all for listening. Speak to Bye, you everyone. Goodbye. Bye, everyone. Catch you next week.